0: Well, thank you, Joel. Thank you to the band. And uh, great to be here this morning if you're joining us uh, in person or if you're joining us live online. uh, Thank you for joining us today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And it's good to be here for our 9.30 a.m. meeting. In two weeks' time, we're going to be switching the time of this meeting for the rest of the summer to 9 o'clock, just so that everyone Is it where just through the summer often people like to get here early and then they've got the rest of the uh, day as well and it also just creates a little more space between this meeting and the second meeting which starts in 50 minutes time, so uh, I need to uh, get a move on so uh, Let me move on and get straight into it. Hi wonder has your world ever been turned upside down by something that has happened very suddenly? I wonder if that's ever happened to you. The other week we were driving our car on the highway between St. John and St. Andrews, and we were just chatting, myself and my wife Debbie, and suddenly we just had a tire blowout. It just went suddenly, and all of a sudden we were wrestling to get in control of the car, to get it to the side of the road. It was going at 100 kilometers an hour and we ended up hitting a barrier at the side of the road thankfully uh, we were both okay it could have been very different the car was less than okay Um, but it was very very sudden Um, I wonder what has happened in your life that has been very sudden perhaps maybe prior to 2020 some of you in March some of you might have said yes some of you might have said no but over the last year or so our entire world has been changed by the current global pandemic. To some extent, that happened very quickly. There'll be other times when some of us will have known our world changing very suddenly, sometimes tragically. Perhaps a sudden death in the family, perhaps a serious injury. I have a friend who fell off a small stepladder uh, one day, and she hit her head a few years ago, the back of her head, and she's pretty much been incapacitated ever since then because of the injury and some of the fluid-draining and bleeding from her head injury that she sustained. Another friend of ours is a quadriplegic because he had a car accident uh, while he was in the army. And uh, that was it. He's been in a wheelchair ever since. But of course life can change very quickly in a good way too. And this passage here that we're at in Acts chapter 9 is a great illustration of how life can get turned around by Jesus with the effects reaching out actually to the entire World. The life in question uh, is a man called Saul, and we first hear about him in Acts chapter 7 when one of the early church leaders, Stephen, was brutally killed under his watch. Immediately after that, we hear that Saul begins a quest to destroy the church, going from house to house and putting people in prison, and that caused the church to scatter to the regions of Judea and Samaria. So if you have a Bible, we're going to pick that up in Acts chapter 9. Today, at the start of Acts chapter 9, the words are also going to appear on the screen. It says this, While, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed Around him, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. In Jerusalem and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name but the Lord said to Ananias go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name then Ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on Saul he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, so what do we know about the life of this man, Saul? And what do we see in this encounter with Jesus that turns his life upside down? There's a few things that I believe we see. First of all, Saul was. Privileged. Saul was privileged. He was born in the city of Tarsus, which is what we might call a university city. It's a place of great education. He was a Jew. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, he describes himself as a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. He thought he was a pretty much a, a top Jew. But Saul was also born a Roman citizen. His father was a Roman citizen. That means he had all of the uh, privileges afforded to Romans under the law, which many of the Jews, most of the Jews, did not have, including that he got the freedom to travel anywhere in the Roman Empire. Because he was a Roman citizen, he had a Roman name, Paul, which, as well as having a Jewish name, Saul, and he would have used those interchangeably, depending on the context, amongst Romans or Gentiles, he would have been known as Paul, and among Jews, he would have been known as Saul. It's very similar to people who move here to Canada, and they often adopt a Western name rather than using the name that they used in their country of origin. We've got examples here, even within our church. Uh, for example, Anael Shula is uh, is often known as Daniel here, um, but in France, where he was born, Anael. Uh, I know other people who've come from China or Korea. They've got a Western name that they use here in Canada, but they'll have a different name which they use in the country that they were born in. That's, he was privileged. Secondly, we see that Saul was ambitious. We know from later in Acts that he studied under Gamaliel, one of the top religious teachers. And in Galatians chapter 1, he says, "'I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age.'" among my people and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Saul was one of the elite. He was a high flyer. He was going places. And thirdly, Saul was zealous. He was zealous for God's law. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees were a group of religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, who were seeking to uphold God's standards in the face of increasingly secular and Roman and Greek society. Lots of us hear the word Pharisee, and we see it in a negative way. But most people at the time would have thought they were the good guys. You know, they were the religious leaders. They were keeping the faith in this in the face of all of this secular Roman opposition. Pharisees were hot on keeping God's law And Saul truly believed that by him persecuting the church, he was maintaining the integrity and purity of their Jewish religion. He says in Philippians chapter 3, As for zeal for God, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. He was zealous for God. If keeping the Jewish law gained favor with God, then Saul was, in his own words, without fault, he must have believed in the face of all these three things, he must have believed he had it all going for him, he must have thought he had it all going for him, This zeal led to great commitment to what he believed were God's purposes. He was on a mission to stamp out the early church. And it wasn't enough to drive them out of Jerusalem. He was going to pursue the believers wherever they went. So at the start of this passage, he goes to the high priest. And he asks for letters to the synagogues from the high priest. The synagogues in Damascus. Which would have allowed him to arrest anyone there who was a follower of Jesus. This journey that he was taking was 325 kilometers. He was going to travel 325 kilometers to go to the synagogues in Damascus where the believers had spread so he could root them out and he could take them back to Jerusalem. Talk about going the extra mile. But as he nears Damascus at the end of his journey, suddenly a bright light flashes around him and he hears a voice saying, Saul? Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asks who is speaking, and he gets the reply. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Saul does get up, but when he opens his eyes, he finds he's blind. So he's led by the men he's traveling with into Damascus, and he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. Meanwhile... Jesus appears to a man named Ananias in a vision, goes and tells him to meet Saul, to lay hands on him. Now, Ananias has already heard about Saul. He's well famous. He's already heard about him, and he knows all that he's doing in the church. He knows why he's come. He knows he's got these letters, and he's understandably very, very nervous about doing what Jesus has asked him to do. But Jesus tells him again to go, saying, Look, I've chosen Saul to proclaim my name among the Gentiles. So Ananias goes, he speaks to um, Paul, Saul. He lays hands on him, he prays that he's filled with the Spirit. Saul's eyes are miraculously opened, and he gets up, is baptized, and he eats. Saul's life has suddenly been turned upside down. So what do we see here in this passage About Jesus and what do we see about what he does in our lives well first of all we see that God is the God who pursues us God pursues us Saul was pursuing all of the believers to stamp out their movement once and for all but unbeknown to him he wasn't the pursuer he was the one being pursued by the risen Lord Jesus Sometimes people talk about their search for meaning in life, their search for God, for some sort of enlightenment, for some sort of meaning. The Bible is very clear. We don't find God. God finds us. We don't find God. God finds us. Saul wasn't going to Damascus to find Christ. He was going there to stamp out Christ and his followers once and for all. He was an enemy of Christ albeit one that Stephen had prayed for when he was being stoned to death. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And Jesus similarly on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to pursue those who had ultimately gone away from him. He called them, I've come to, he said, I've come to pursue the lost sheep of Israel and ultimately the world. Lost sheep don't tend to find their own way home. They're found by a shepherd. And Saul, or Paul, later reflects this in his letters to the Romans. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. In Ephesians and Colossians, he says, we've been made alive in Christ when we were dead in our sins. We've been made alive. When? When we were dead. A dead person can't pursue God. Jesus pursues us when we're lost. Jesus pursues us when we're dead in our sins. When we don't even know that we are sinners. Saul didn't know he was a sinner. He thought he had it all. He thought he was absolutely righteous. He had the education, he had the privilege, he had the status, he had the righteousness under the law, which was faultless. How could he ever be described as a sinner? Yet later on he looks back at his life and in the light of Christ's salvation that he's come to know and he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He's had his whole perspective flipped around. He thought he was the best. He thought he was the best. And Jesus came to show him he was the worst of sinners. To receive all that Christ has for us, we have to come to the realization that we need saving because we're lost, that we need to be made alive because actually we're dead. We might think our life is absolutely fine as it is. We might think we've got all the education. We might think we've been born into the privileged position which will see us through our lives. We might think we're good people, moral people, even godly people going to church or our place of worship, serving God, doing whatever we think is his will. But unless we see that we are truly sinners in need of a savior, we won't be able to receive what we truly need, a radical life-changing encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, just as Saul received. Jesus said himself, only those that are sick need a doctor. But we need to know that we're sick. We need to know that we're sick. Saul was spiritually blind and Jesus even showed him that by making him physically blind on this road when the light of God shone around him until Three days later, the scales fell from his eyes as he was filled with the Holy Spirit as he began to see things with true clarity. And once Saul's encountered Christ and Ananias has been praying for him to be filled with the Spirit, the first thing that Saul does is he's baptized. He hasn't eaten or drunk anything for three days, but his priority is baptism. And then he eats. First thing is baptism. Baptism shows that a new life has begun. And that's exactly what's happened for Saul. His life's been changed in an instant after encountering Jesus. He wants to make it clear. If you've been born to a new life in Jesus and have had him completely transform you, I would urge you, get baptized. Get baptized as soon as you are able. It's a public statement that you are a new creation, that everything has changed. You're not just adding Jesus to your life whenever it's convenient. He has changed everything. Baptism is publicly nailing your colors to the mast and saying that you are now in Christ. You are a new creation. You're born again. New birth tends to be a private affair, thankfully. If someone was expecting a baby within our church, we wouldn't expect the whole church to be there at the birth. That might be a comfort to some of you here. But we would expect that the whole church would get to know about it pretty soon afterwards. We would announce it. We wouldn't wait a few years to announce, hey, there's been a new birth. We're going to tell people right away. And it's the same with salvation and baptism. Only one or two people might be present when salvation happens. Maybe no one else. But it's quickly celebrated publicly and declared in baptism. We're going to be baptizing people in two weeks' time. And we'd love you to join with those who've already committed to this. If you haven't yet been baptized and you're able to do that in two weeks, please do speak to us today about it. So, finally, how does Saul change? How does Saul change? Well, God takes the part of his character, which he already has, as well as his background, and he completely flips them, turns them around for his glory. Firstly, God redeems Saul's privileged background. Remember how we said Saul was educated and he was also a Roman citizen as well as a Jew. God was going to use that ability to understand different cultures and have that freedom to travel so that the gospel could be spread far and wide throughout the known world. Paul had the ability to travel where other people wouldn't have been able to by the very um, virtue that he was a Roman citizen. Saul was going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. He was going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those outside of Judaism, who, those who'd previously been outside of God's chosen people. As he did that, he's going to become more commonly known as Paul, his Roman name, because he wants to make it explaining the gospel to those outside of Judaism as easy as possible. He explains it in 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. He says, To the Jews... I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Which name do you think he would have used? Saul. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I'm not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some, I do this for the sake of the gospel so that I might share in its blessings. Saul wouldn't have used his Jewish name as he went to the Gentiles. He'd be known by Paul because he wouldn't want his Jewish name to be a stumbling block. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a big enough stumbling block for many. Saul's education also helped him because God was going to use him to write much of our Bible. As we know it today, he was going to write letters to the churches which would deal with specific situations or maybe just general letters of doctrine about what Jesus had done, what God had done in and through Jesus Christ and how that affects the rest of our lives. That education wasn't going to go to waste. But now he would have had the Holy Spirit which would give him a fresh revelation of understanding of the Old Testament of Scripture so he could write letters explaining what God was doing. God redeems Saul's privilege. God redeems Saul's ambition. Now, Paul was going to use his ambition for God's glory, the advancement of the gospel. In Romans 15, 10, he says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. That's a pretty big ambition. Preach the gospel where Christ is not known. He goes from being willing to travel 325 kilometers to persecute and arrest Christians to being willing to travel all around the known world to preach the gospel and to start churches. He's going to go from being a persecutor of Christians to actually being persecuted for being a Christian. He's going to go from murdering church leaders to being a church leader who is ultimately murdered. But his ambition in doing this is to receive the reward which Christ has before him. In Philippians, he says, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for God which he's called me heavenward for in Christ Jesus. He's ambitious, he's straining for something, he's pressing on, he goes on in Corinthians and says he's in strict training, he's beating his body, um, so he's not going to be disqualified because he's got a prize ahead of him. He dedicates himself to wholeheartedly serving Christ. He encourages us to do similarly. And finally, God changes his zeal for the law. And instead he becomes zealous in terms of preaching and speaking about God's grace. When Saul was persecuting the church, he didn't realize he was actually persecuting God. When Jesus met him in that blinding light, he said to Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul might have thought, I'm not, I'm persecuting the church. But the church is so closely aligned with Jesus In reality, Saul has been persecuting Jesus. Jesus says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. Saul's religious zeal had been misplaced. And Saul would have known what to expect at that point. The risen Lord Jesus, God himself appears before him he's fallen to the ground what's he going to expect next he would have known scripture enough to know that no one can stand in the face of God he would have known scripture enough to know about God's judgment to come he could have only expected to be struck down dead on the Damascus road at that time as Jesus comes to vindicate his church and to do away with his enemies that's what he would have expected but that's not what happened instead jesus calls saul to himself he forgives him he gives him a new life full of the holy spirit he says this is the one i have chosen to proclaim my name to the gentiles and their kings he was going to go to kings and to the people of israel and yes he says there's going to be a lot of suffering and there was but there would also be great reward Saul received such grace from God. It was so completely undeserved. Yet yet he knew he was completely accepted and forgiven by God. And he never forgot it. And he never stopped talking about it. Have you often wondered why Paul is so strong in some of his letters about legalism? Just look at the book of Galatians if you're not sure what I mean by that. He seems to have far more of an issue with people trying to do the right thing to please God than he does with the godlessness in the societies that he goes to. Well, why is that? It's because he knows that per- from personal experience that obedience to the law gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. Zeal for the law, God's law, led him to persecuting Jesus and trying to destroy his church. And so now Paul is going to spend the rest of his life speaking about the grace of God, the grace that he has so wonderfully experienced for himself, the grace which has completely transformed him. So what does all this mean for us? Well, it means that if you've had your life turned upside down by the risen Lord Jesus, you can expect he's going to use you powerfully. He's called you powerfully to something too, for his plans and purposes. And God is going to redeem the things that have happened in your life. He's going to use the things that have happened in your life and turn them around for his glory. You might have known heartache and pain in your life. You might have had experiences that you wish you'd never had. You may have a certain personality which can sometimes seem a very negative personality to you. You wish you didn't have it. Let me encourage you this morning. God is pursuing you. He's always been pursuing you. And he wants to take those things in your life which might have been destructive, which might have been painful, and he wants to use them for your glory, for his glory. Excuse me. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us, but God wants to pour out his grace upon us. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He wants to use us mightily. What the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good in your life. Those things in your character, the experiences you've had, you wish you could erase them from your life. Ask God how he intends to use those for his good and for his glory, because he does The education you've had, ask God how he plans to use that. It might not be in the same way as everyone else. Maybe it is, but it might not be. Those character traits which might seem abrasive, unhelpful, ask God how he's going to redeem them and use them for his glory. God is a pursuing God. Will you allow him to change your life? Maybe you met him years ago, but he's still pursuing you. What's he calling you to now? What's he wanting to show you? And maybe today is your day to encounter the risen Lord Jesus for the very first time. Maybe today you've realized he's pursuing you. He wants to turn your life upside down, or should I say, the right way up. He wants to bring you new life, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's so, please don't leave here without speaking to someone who can help you, just as Ananias helped Saul. Because I've had my tire blow out in the car, I've been driving a car loaned to me by someone in the church, and it's got an old cassette player in it. So I dug out this cassette, which is a cassette of my baptism. My baptism, which was almost exactly 32 years ago today. 21st of May, 1989 i hadn't listened to it since then so i listened to it last week and i listened to myself giving a testimony of how i came to christ and the new life i'd found in christ and it i laughed a little because 32 years ago at the end of giving my testimony i kind of gave an appeal and i urged anyone who was nervous or unsure about god's love i said Pray to God. He will come and find you. You can receive him in your life. I said, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. And then I went on and I listened to the message which was preached on that day, 32 years ago. It was Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Saul's conversion. Whew. God's timing is perfect. Listen. Today, if Jesus is calling you, come to him. You won't regret it. Why don't we stand together and pray? I'm just going to close the meeting. I don't think we've got time today. We've got another meeting. I'm just going to stand and pray. Why don't we stand together? Father God, I thank you that you are a God who pursues us. I thank you that you are a God who doesn't treat us as we deserve. Lord, you did not treat Saul as he deserved, as he would have expected. You turned his life around and blessed him. And I thank you you've done that for many of us here today. I want to pray for anyone who does not know the risen Lord Jesus personally today, who hasn't had their lives radically transformed by him i pray today would be the day of salvation i pray today would be the new birth that you are always calling them to and father god i pray that you would give us encouragement that the things that have happened in our lives which we in so many ways dearly wish would never have happened Pray that we would be encouraged that you are going to use those for your glory and your plans and your purposes, whatever that might be. Father, come and fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh today as we leave here. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you do need to talk to myself or Emma or Joel or any other one, who you know and trust is a follower of Jesus, please do that before you leave today. I would love to pray with you even before we start into our next meeting. God bless you all. Have a great rest of the day. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you.